I'm Mark Vinette, and this is The Story of America. In this episode, we set sail on a grand nautical adventure that sparked extensive exploration of lands previously unknown to Europeans. Join me as we examine the great age of discovery at a time prior to Christopher Columbus's historic transoceanic voyage in 1492. European exploration outside the Mediterranean Sea started in the early 1400s and followed many currents that eventually led, before the century's end, across the Atlantic Ocean to North American shores. The age of exploration led to the rise of global trade and colonial empires, instigating contact between the Old World continents of Europe, Asia, and Africa with North America. These interactions produced the exchange and transfer of a wide variety of plants, animals, food, human populations, culture, and communicable diseases between the eastern and western hemispheres. The age of exploration allowed the mapping of the planet, resulting in a new world view and distant civilizations coming into contact. The era also saw the military conquest and economic dominance of foreign lands, as well as the spread of European civilization and its advanced technology. As a wider variety of global luxury commodities enter the European markets by sea, previous European networks for luxury goods stagnated. The Atlantic trade largely supplanted pre-existing Italian and German trading powers, which had relied on their Baltic, Russian, and Islamic trade links. The European economic center thus shifted from the Mediterranean to Western Europe. The new commodities also caused social change, as sugar, spices, silks, chinaware, precious metals, and jewels entered the luxury markets of Europe. Between the 11th and 15th centuries, the European economy was transformed by the interconnecting of river and sea trade routes, causing Europe to become one of the world's most prosperous trading networks. Maritime Italian states, mainly Venice, Genoa, and Pisa, dominated trade in the eastern Mediterranean, with Italian merchants becoming wealthy and politically influential. Further changing the mercantile situation in the eastern Mediterranean was the waning of Byzantine naval power, whose leaders had made several notable treaties and concessions with Italian traders, permitting the use of Byzantine Christian ports. The Norman conquest of England in 1066 allowed for peaceful trade on the North Sea. A confederation of merchant guilds and their towns in northern Germany along the North Sea and Baltic Sea was instrumental in commercial development of the region. In the 12th century, the Low Countries produced the finest quality textiles in northern Europe, which encouraged Italian merchants to sail there directly. A prelude to the Age of Discovery was a series of European expeditions crossing Eurasia by land in the late Middle Ages. Although the Mongols had threatened Europe with pillage and destruction, Mongol states also unified much of Eurasia and, from 1206 on, the Pax Mongolica allowed safe trade routes and communication lines stretching from the Middle East to China. A series of Europeans took advantage of these networks to explore eastwards. Most were Italians, like Venetian merchant Marco Polo, as trade between Europe and the Middle East was controlled mainly by the maritime republics. The close Italian links to the Levant raised great curiosity and commercial interest in countries which lay further east. 
These overland journeys along the so-called Silk Road, however, had little immediate effect. The Mongol Empire collapsed almost as quickly as it formed, and soon the route to the east became more difficult and dangerous. The Black Death of the 14th century also blocked travel and trade. The rise of the Ottoman Empire further limited the possibilities of European overland commerce. The Republic of Venice and neighboring maritime city-states held the monopoly of European commerce with the Middle East. The silk and spice trade, involving incense, herbs, drugs, and opium, made these Mediterranean city-states phenomenally rich. Spices, imported from Asia and Africa, were among the most expensive and demanded products of the Middle Ages, as they were used in medieval medicine, religious rituals, cosmetics, perfumery, as well as food additives and preservatives. Muslim traders and Arab sailors dominated maritime routes throughout the Indian Ocean, controlling shipping to Far East source regions and trading emporiums in India. From Persian Gulf ports, overland routes led to the Mediterranean coasts. Venetian merchants distributed the goods through Europe until the rise of the Ottoman Empire that eventually led to the conquest of Constantinople in 1453 barring Europeans from important combined land-sea routes. The fall of Constantinople to the hands of the Ottomans was thus a blow to Christendom and the established business relations linking with the East. Technological advancements that were important to the Age of Exploration were the adoption of the magnetic compass and advances in ship design. Ships grew in size, required smaller crews, and were able to sail longer distances without stopping. This led to significant lower long-distance shipping costs. Prior to the Age of Exploration, European sailing had been primarily close to land, guided by port and coastal nautical charts. These sea atlases specified proven ocean routes guided by coastal landmarks as sailors departed from a known point, followed a compass heading, and tried to identify their location by its landmarks. For the first oceanic exploration, Western Europeans used the compass, as well as progressive new advances in cartography and astronomy. Arab navigational tools like the Astrolab and Quadrant were used for celestial navigation, using astronomical charts plotting the location of the stars over a distinct period of time. These tables revolutionized navigation, allowing the calculation of latitude. Exact longitude, however, remained elusive and mariners struggled to determine it for centuries. The Portuguese were the first European nation to systematically encourage maritime commerce by exploring foreign shores under the sponsorship of Prince Henry the Navigator, who encouraged the development of a new, much lighter ship, the Caravelle, which would sail farther and faster, and above all, was highly maneuverable and could sail into the wind. To ensure their monopoly on trade, Europeans, beginning with the Portuguese, attempted to install a Mediterranean system of trade which used military might and intimidation to divert commerce through ports they controlled. Long-standing nautical myths warned of oceanic monsters or sailing off the edge of the world, but Prince Henry's navigation challenged such beliefs by probing southeastward along the African coast to see whether it was possible to reach the lucrative markets of the Indies by sea. A crucial breakthrough occurred in 1488, when Portugal rounded the southern tip of Africa, then sailed east, establishing that the Indian Ocean was accessible from the Atlantic, proving false the view that had existed since antiquity 
that the Indian Ocean was landlocked. Portugal's neighboring fellow Iberian rival and emerging modern Spain became fully committed to the search for new trade routes overseas. In 1492, the Spanish conquered the Moorish Kingdom of Granada, which had been providing it with African goods through tribute. In the hope of bypassing Portugal's monopoly on West African sea routes, a newly united Spain decided to fund a daring expedition to reach southeastern Asia by traveling west. Soon we embark on this daring expedition in search of a new route westward in the company of Italian navigator Christopher Columbus. We interrupt our chronological series narrative to address a few of the many listener comments and questions. For expediency and privacy concerns, I use the initials of those who contacted me. All right, let's begin this Q&A session. Here is a text from listener WC. Mr. Vinette, in your fascinating and fun episodes, you enumerated many pre-Columbian trans-oceanic contact theories that have little support amongst the scientific and scholarly community. What about the Mormons? Good question, WC. Published in 1830 by the group's founder and leader, Joseph Smith, when he was 24 years old, the Book of Mormon, a sacred text of the Latter-day Saint movement, states that some ancient inhabitants of the New World are descendants of Semitic peoples who sailed from the Old World. Scientific consensus, however, rejects these claims. Archaeologists and other scholars have long probed the hemisphere's past and they do not know of anything found so far that has substantiated the Book of Mormon. Viewer RT, who watches the YouTube version of this series, commented, The Olmec did not come out of nowhere, independently. They came from the Nile Valley. They introduced various sciences, including megalithic carving and hieroglyphics. No one wants to tell the truth about anything. Well. I posted my response directly in the video comments section by suggesting that RT check out episode on transoceanic contact theories where alternative views for the origins of Olmec culture are presented. Superfan LK asks, what does the term eons mean? The term generally refers to one billion years. I begin this series by investigating the deep timeline of the continent going back eons to discover the early pivotal environmental and geological forces that eventually led to the evolution and formation of the continent. Check out the YouTube episodes where I included a chart referring to major divisions of geological time, subdivided into eras, called eons. Listener CM sent me an email asking, you mentioned the word hypothesis. What is different between the terms hypothesis, theory, thesis, and fact? What do these four words really mean? Okay, let's take them one by one. Basically, a hypothesis is an educated guess, a supposition or proposed explanation made on the basis of limited evidence as a starting point for further investigation. A good hypothesis is investigated by many scholars and ultimately worth a full testing. A theory is a belief, supposition, or a system of ideas intended to explain something. A thesis is a statement, argument, or theory that is posited or put forward as a premise to be maintained or proved. And finally, a fact is something that is known or proved to be true and can be used as evidence. 
It is important to understand that these four terms explain how human knowledge advances cumulatively. Referring to my discussion regarding subtitles in history movies, A.H. says, I only like subtitles if they're not too slow. It keeps the eye away from the cinema. But as a linguistic nerd, subtitles improve my linguistic chops. Keep up the good work. Here is a follow-up question from R.T. who asked me about kilometers or kilometers in our last Q&A session. Dear Mark, why do you refer to mileage? Isn't the metric system understood by everyone? The modern metric system, the International System of Units, has been adopted as the official system of weights and measures by most nations except for a few, including the United States, the only major industrialized country where the metric system is not the predominant system of units. As you know, this series focuses on three great nations, and while Canada and Mexico have gone metric, I'm sure that the many Americans in the audience appreciate my use of U.S. Customary Units System of Measurements when converting metric weights and measures. And now, a few comments, considerations, and reviews, starting with listener RR from India, who shares the following. The Western Hemisphere is full of glorious history, and your podcast is wonderfully presenting a fascinating part of it. You make it interesting and fun, because you are a congenial and upbeat presenter. I also like your Instagram posts. CFP writes, I have had a listen to your show and found it interesting. It is nice to see someone doing a wider perspective on the continent, not just the USA. MP states, I really enjoyed your episodes. Very well done and informative. From Latin America, MEM affirms, Juxtaposing the histories of Canada, USA, and Mexico in one podcast is brilliant. Thanks for doing it. MSP messaged, I started listening to your podcast. I love that you started with the geology. LL from South Africa emailed, Our family listens to your delightful show every weekend. NT on Facebook declares, I'm currently listening to your podcast and enjoying it so far. FL scribbles the following from the UK, Nice job, and I have already shared your podcast link with family and friends. JW sent me this text. Just checked out your podcast, great work, and just seen that you also have a YouTube channel. TG at the Just History Podcast Facebook page declared, Love your podcast. MC from Down Under in Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia comments, Great podcast, mate. Very informative. Love the attention to detail. JW posted on social media the following thought. The French writer Antoine de Saint-Exupéry once wrote, Perfection is achieved not when there is nothing more to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. I mention that quote specifically because I can't tell you enough how much I love Mark Vinette's History of North America podcast. It's a great show that engages deeply with historical topics in around 10 to 15 minutes per episode. Brilliant. Here is P.A. on Twitter. I love the way you present with such gusto and so concisely. From San Francisco, California, N.S. shares, Hey Mark, listen to your talk on Apocalypto. Love that movie. My wife and I traveled to Mexico, Belize, and Guatemala several times over a two-year period to check out Mayan archaeology. Good stuff. I'll leave you a good rating and review as well. D.Y. proclaims, 
I donated to your podcast via PayPal and got my complimentary ebook copy of your first historical mystery novel, The Maesta Panels. I'm hooked and will move on to the next volume in your Denari novel series. You are a very talented writer. RP announces I joined your Patreon group at the bronze level. Thanks for the ebook gift. SOS compliments I'm already several episodes in and gave a five star rating. It's great work. Each episode is packed with information because Mark gets right to the point, and his clear presentation makes the material very approachable. RFW opines, I love podcasts and listen to many. Your series is now on my list of favorites. I also gave you a five-star rating and good review with iTunes Apple Podcasts. MJM posted this very nice review on Apple Podcasts. Get in, get out, learn a lot while you're there. I gave this podcast five stars because it deserved it. I hated history class in high school, and it was one of my lowest grades. If this host was my teacher, I would have majored in history in college. This podcast is fantastic, stays on the subject, is well written, and I promise you will leave each episode with more knowledge than you did when you entered the room. Here is an Apple Podcast iTunes five-star review from GYG. Thank you for this wonderful family-friendly series. Your positive presentation is refreshing. Here is another five-star Apple Podcast review. Excellent, concise show. I really enjoy this podcast. I suspect Mark puts a tremendous amount of effort into each episode considering how well they are done. I also really recommend his YouTube channel. And yet another five-star Apple review. This podcast is very rich and brings a detailed perspective on topics of interest for all those who want to go beyond the usual information. Bravo! One more five-star review. Informative and entertaining. This is a well-researched podcast that gets right to the point, presents the information in a concise manner. The host has a voice that's easy to listen to, and the episodes are well-edited. Great sound quality. And one last five-star review. An amazing listen. This is an absolutely lovely podcast. The information is presented in an engaging and thoughtful format. Mark takes the time to delve into topics that, even though they happened quite a while ago, are brought to life and are given a certain poignancy. Finally, my podcast is climbing the ranking charts of many nations, including France, Japan, Italy, Ireland, Vietnam, Russia, Canada, and Mexico. I started this podcast only months ago and never imagined such a fantastic response from history lovers around the world. Thanks for joining me on this exciting adventure through time, exploring and focusing on the interesting, compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of the United States of America and its continental neighbors, its inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. Thank you, folks, for all the good questions and lovely feedback. Keep them coming. Next time, we will return to our series narrative timeline and explore one of the world's titans of history. Christopher Columbus. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the story.